listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, June the 15th in the year of our Lord 2020. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and on Mondays, we take a look at one of the lessons for the following Sunday, which is the third Sunday after Pentecost, June the 21st, 2020. Old Testament reading from Jeremiah chapter 20, Epistle from Romans 6, Gospel from Matthew 10. Today we're going to emphasize the epistle, Romans 6, verses 12 to 23. And verse 12 says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Now, the word therefore is there, which means you need to look at the previous verses to see what that therefore is being talked about. Romans 6, verse 9, Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. You see, he was raised from the dead. Death no longer has dominion over him. For in that he died, he died into sin. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Therefore, now the connection comes between his death and resurrection and us. Verse 11, Romans 6. Likewise, Reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that introduction comes verse 12, and we'll read it from the ESV. Let not sin, I'm sorry, yeah, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies, to make you obey their passions. The King James has it. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. So having set up what Christ has done for us, that he no longer has been under dominion to death, we also being in Christ, should consider ourselves dead to sin. Now, when you're dead to something, what does that mean? It means you're not motivated by it. You're not willing to do it. You want nothing to do with it. And so Paul is saying to the church at Rome, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Now, we know it still is in your mortal body. Just go to the next passage, Romans 7, where Paul says, the things I want to stop from doing, boy, I'm always doing them. And the things that I would like to be doing in Christ, boy, it's difficult for me to do it. But he still fights against it. And he thanks God that in Christ he is saved from the sin of his mortal body. Verse 13, 
Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Now, what the King James says is, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Now, I like that word yield there because we often talk about a human being who is an unbeliever has no free will to do the righteousness of God. He cannot believe in the true God until empowered by the Holy Spirit to do so, and therefore all that he does is sin. But once you are a Christian, once faith has been engendered in you, then you do have a choice. You can see, well, if I do this, this is going to be sin. And if I do not do this, this will be righteousness. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can forego sin and attempt to do righteousness. That's, that's found, of course, and we mention this many times, in the parable of the sheep and the goats. The sheep and the goats often did the same task, but the difference was that the sheep were motivated by the Holy Spirit in contrast to the goats that were motivated solely out of self-interest. Both may have visited people in prison, but the sheep visited them out of love for Christ. And the goats visited them out of self-interest. And you can make that decision as to whether or not you're going to be following God's word properly. Now, verse 14, to me, is one of the most important verses in the entire Bible, which I will explain. The ESV reads, For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. What does that mean? Often when I do a Bible study, I hand out a sheet of paper, and it has two columns. On the left-hand side is living under law, and on the right-hand side is living under the gospel, that is, living under grace. What's the difference? Living under the law gives the impression that what you do will make a difference as to whether God loves you and saves you. We call that legalism. Living under the gospel means 
that even when you sin and are repentant, God forgives that sin. That is, he no longer holds you accountable. So you can look at the verses of the Bible as to see whether they're living under the law or living under the gospel. For example, when Jesus meets a rich man, the rich man asks him, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, you know the commandments, obey them. And he gives Jesus the information that he has not sinned, even when he was a youth, which of course is a lie. So Jesus says, well then sell all that you have, come and follow me, and you will be saved. Now, believe it or not, Jesus is simply using the law here to make a point that this man cannot save himself. Because what does a rich man do? He has such a love for money, he can't do what Jesus is saying. And therefore, Jesus is making the point, as he says later to the disciples, with man, it is impossible to do anything to save oneself. But what is impossible for man is not impossible for God. God will grant you faith, and therefore you will be living under the gospel as you trust the promises of Jesus Christ. That that passage, and I just learned this recently, that when the monasteries began, and that was before Luther, they used that Bible verse of Jesus, sell all that you have and take care of the poor, as a means of being saved. They did not properly distinguish between the law. The law does tell us what you would have to do in order to be saved by works. But it is said in such a way that nobody can do it. Whatever the law says is impossible for a person to do perfectly. And that's the point. It is to reveal that you are a sinner and that you need to look outside of yourself for salvation. If you're living under the law, you're living under the impression that God will love and save you by your works, which every other religion in the world teaches. Only Christianity teaches that God does everything to save you. You do nothing. Now, when I say you do nothing, I'm using language from the Bible. I believe one of God's favorite ways of talking how you are saved is that you are adopted. Tell me, what does a baby do to get adopted? Nothing. So when you're living under the gospel, all the Bible passages have a different interpretation.
And at the same time, you are given the assurance that salvation is by grace, through faith, on account of Jesus Christ. Now, if sin has no dominion over us anymore, because we cannot be held accountable for our sin, verse 15 is a question Paul asks. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. See, I I really believe that's the reason a lot of so-called pastors don't preach the free gospel. They're afraid that when people hear their sins are forgiven, that that will move them, okay, I can go ahead and do any sin I want since it is forgiven. Well, Paul says, no, no, by no means. Is that true? Listen to verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Now, you need to be real careful with this verse because whatever you obey, whomever you obey, and in this case, if you're living under the law, you're obeying the devil. If you're living under the gospel, your obedience is through the power of the Holy Spirit. So what he's saying is this. If you think that you can obey the devil because you're free from sin, there is a consequence of unrepentant sin, and that is death. And the death is not just mortal death. It's death of eternity. It's hell. But the obedience wrought in us by the Holy Spirit is an obedience to righteousness. That's why in verse 17, Paul says, But thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Now, that's really critical. Because from the heart means something. What does it mean? Well, in the day of Jesus, the heart was the place of motivation. When God looks at a work you do, He just doesn't look at the outwardness of the work, such as maybe giving food to people who are hungry. He looks at your motivation. If you do that because of your love for Jesus Christ and your desire on the part of the Holy Spirit to give to the needy, that's wonderful. 
and that is indeed a work of righteousness from the Holy Spirit that becomes your own. But if you have not obeyed from the heart, and instead your heart is doing this out of self-interest, maybe you want to get a good name for yourself. I mean, in this political world, people often see why politicians do what they do. They want to get re-elected. So you'll see them holding babies, maybe helping out at a soup kitchen, building homes for the homeless. But you still can't read their heart. Are they doing that out of love for Jesus Christ? Or are they doing that out of the desire to get reelected? But the Christian does so out of the Holy Spirit. So verse 18 is a good summary. And having been set free from sin, we have become slaves of righteousness. Now, you would wonder, why does he use the word slave? Well, the word slave also it can be translated as servant. Jesus was your slave. He went the way of the cross willingly to serve you. And therefore, being a slave of righteousness means that God owns us. And because we are free from sin to death, then we are indeed servants or slaves of righteousness. Verse 19. For I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Wow, that's really important to understand. Because sanctification is the result of being justified in Christ. Sanctification means that we are servants to righteousness unto holiness. The, the word sanctification comes from the word to be holy. And therefore, when you are justified, that is, when you are made a part of the family of God, your works then are holy works. Uh, let's, let's get back to that uh, analogy of being adopted. When you were an orphan, you were not really a servant of any parents. You were owned by an institution. But once you received parents, then you began to do good works in the homes of your parents. Well, what good works? You began to eat the food they served you, to wear the clothes they dressed you in, 
to sleep in the bed they brought for you. Those are all works of righteousness within that home. And that's what's so beautiful. Verse 20. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Now that sounds strange. But what it is saying is this. When you were servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. In in other words, you weren't doing it. And you didn't want to do it. But that freedom from righteousness meant you were also free from salvation. So the next part is important. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. And again, we're not talking about mortal death. We're talking about separation from God. The death that Adam and Eve experienced when they ate from the tree of the forbidden fruit. Remember, they went and tried to hide from God as though God is not everywhere. That's what death is. It's a loss of the recognition and presence of God in your life. And therefore, there was great fear of God. The end of those things is indeed death. Verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Now we need to be careful here that you don't read that under the law. Remember what under the law means is that you do things in order to be saved. It sounds like your work of sanctification saves you, but that's not what it says. It says that when you are a slave of God, that means under the Holy Spirit being motivated by him to do fruit of the Holy Spirit, the fruit you get, now that means the consequence of that fruit leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Sanctification is the result of my realizing that I have been justified. It's kind of like being a member of the family. When I realize that I was adopted into this family, I'm going to act differently when one of my parents has a birthday. If they were not my parents, I probably would ignore it. But if it's one of my parents that has a birthday, I'll want to buy a present for them in thankfulness. Buying that present does not make me their child. 
It actually is a result of being their child. And so, therefore, when the fruit we do leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life, it's not the sanctification that saves me, but is the evidence to God that I have already been saved by justification. Paul summarizes what he just said in these verses. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice, death is a wage. You merit death. Eternal life, that's not a wage. It's a free gift from God, and it's because of Jesus Christ, our Lord. I hope that's been helpful to you, Romans 6, 12 to 23, and on tomorrow's Law and Gospel Rumination Tuesday with Mark Smith, we'll take a look at a hymn, Lord of our life and God of our salvation. I'm Tom Baker. Thanks for listening to Law and Gospel. God bless. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 930 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.